When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is. Is Football Social Daily. We've had pepperoni pizza gates, Fergie versus Wenger, tunnel bust ups, an 8 2, a 6 1, and now a player accidentally standing on his own goalkeeper's foot, leaving an open net. It could only be Manchester United against Arsenal, and one of the Premier League's classic clashes didn't disappoint last night as we saw the strangest of conceivable goals a master marksman bagging his 800th career goal. Penalty decisions, superstars in the stands and all under the watchful eye of a new manager whilst the current incumbent waves goodbye after 15 years at Old Trafford. United beat the Gunners 3-2 in an entertaining game last night which happened to be Michael Carrick's last at Manchester United. He'll be leaving the club as Ralph Rangnick now takes the reins. We'll pick the bones out of that one, as well as Spurs picking up a much-needed win at home to Brentford. Son Heung-min, the standout, was last night's display a little more Conte from Tottenham after recent struggles. Plus, after a full rack of midweek madness in the Premier League, we pick out our heroes and villains from those nights under the lights. Who deserves a badge of honour and who needs to hang their heads in shame? Welcome along to Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the season. Thanks for listening to the show. If you hit subscribe now, that way you'll be up to date with every new podcast by receiving a notification as soon as it's ready. I'm Niall McCorn, and speaking of badges of honour, we've got a seasoned veteran on today's show, a man with many battle scars. Marley Anderson's here. Morning, mate. <laughs> Good morning. Yes, plenty of battle scars. Still nursing nursing the odd uh, injury from some lively debate in the past, I think. And also a genuine bona fide physical injury. I think you rolled your ankle last night at five side. Is that right? I did, yeah. Uh, I don't know what I've done. It's just it's just like a ligament thing, I think. But it it was so innocuous. There was no one near me, and I just stepped on the floor, and then just it just rolled, and I thought, Christ, I must be getting old. Like if I'm just rolling my ankle, just <laughs> doing nothing. I was gonna say, you know, when footballers always go, well, I knew the time was right for me to hang them up. <laughs> you're, you're inching towards it, Marley. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. I I overtook my goal tally for for the whole of last year, last night, which is probably the geekiest thing I do. But <laughs> never mind. I am that guy who keeps track of how many goals he scores at uh, seven. Did you take the ball home with you? I always do. Yeah, I just nick it. 
<laughs> He's got loads in his house. Uh, if Marley's the veteran, then our next guest is the rookie, albeit on Football Social Daily, as he's making his podcast debut today. Craig Hansen from Sportico's is joining us. Hello to you, Craig. Hi, Niall. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be on the show. Uh, fortunately, I'm not carrying any uh, any physical battle scars from Fiverside. I'm far too lazy to play Fiverside. I haven't played in about five years. Very much the armchair pundit, but I'm very much happy to be here. It's a pleasure. It's good to have you with us, Craig. Uh, and your show, Sportacost, is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, which is a catalogue of sporting shows you can find on our website or on all podcast platforms. Just head to sport-social.co.uk, click the podcast tab at the top of the page and take a look at all the great shows we have there, including Sportacos, of course. So let's get to know you a little bit better, Craig. Tell us about your show first and foremost. Yeah, sure. So we do a weekly show where we like to speak to a fan of a different club every week. Um, it, it could be a journalist or a social media manager, an ex-player, um, a fan group representative. The only important thing is that they have a real passion for one particular club. We like to do a deep dive into that club, talk about sort of their experiences going to games or maybe following from afar. You know, we, we have a lot of guests on from United States, India, other countries. Uh, yeah, and we we just do a deep dive into into sort of fandom. Uh, we do talk about what's going on with that club in the here and now, but we also like to to try and get into something a little bit different. Get the the fans to tell their own stories, sort of their connections to the clubs that they love and and uh, their stories, basically. Yeah, so we we call it football. Um, we call it uh, sports costs, uh, football stories for that reason. Brilliant stuff. Um, do you have a team that you support, Craig? Is there any team that you are, p- are particularly passionate about? Yes, there is. Um, there's actually a few, but um, it's 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 a bit of a complicated story. But from the Premier League side of things, I would say I'm a Man City fan. Um, and then when it comes to um, anything outside of that, I closely follow my local team, Warsaw. Uh, we're in League Two, and I go to Warsaw home games every two weeks. Try to go to away games when I can. And um, in terms of Man City. I um I pretty much only get to go to a couple of games a year and it's more of a sort of TV experience. Keep a close eye on a few teams in Spain as well from some of the places that I used to live in in the past. I've been to the best got a number of times. Always enjoy a little trip up the M6 to go and uh, take in a game at, at Walsall. Good to have you <laughs> with us and your show, Sportacost, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As I say, a variety of sporting shows covered off there. Whether you want Premier League fan casts, snooker, speedway, even wrestling. And of course, it's the Ashes coming up in a matter of days too as the England cricket team look to win back that prestigious little earn from Australia. And you can hear all the best analysis from Down Under this winter with Simon Hughes, his brilliant podcast, The Analyst Inside Cricket is now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network too. Back to the football now though, that's what we're here for on Football Social Daily and there were two top flight fixtures last night. Spurs beat Brentford 2-0 in North London but first we'll dive into the game at Old Trafford where Manchester United beat Arsenal 3-2 in the Premier League. It was Arsenal who opened the scoring last night after just 12 minutes through one of the strangest goals I can remember. Emil Smith-Rowe scoring a nice volley but there was no goalkeeper in the sticks. David De Gea was down on the ground as it flew in. It turns out that Fred, a teammate of David De Gea's, had accidentally stood on the goalkeeper's ankle at a corner and when the ball came out to Smith Rowe, just volleyed it into an empty net. The referee, Martin Atkinson, gives the goal. As I said, Marley, that's the strangest goal I can remember for a long, long time. Was the decision to give the goal the right call for you? Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. I don't think... There's not even a... It's my job I, to ask I mean, the question, though. <laughs> I, know, I know, yeah. I know. Uh, but, I mean, I did see people moaning about it, and it's just... It's literal... It's just, just tribalism, isn't it? Like, you only think that shouldn't have been a goal if you're a Man United fan. 
Like there is there is nothing wrong. Your own player stood on your goalkeeper. Your goalkeeper went down like he'd been shot and got what he deserved. Like your goalies are meant to be tough, man. But they, these days they they're so protected that you know, oh, so, oh my lace is loose. Everyone stop the game. And it's just it 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 was nice to see that goal go in. Uh, from a neutral perspective, because and and stand, because the referee was like, well, I didn't see it in the first place, but let's have VAR have a look at it just in case. Um, and then obviously VAR pointed out that it was Fred who stood on his ankle, so it wasn't a foul. Um, and even if it was a um, an Arsenal player, it probably wouldn't have been a foul either. I, I wouldn't think that 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 kind of thing happens seven or eight times a game to every play. You always get stood on. It's it's just part of the game. So. Why should it be different for a goalkeeper? And I think he got what he deserved by not not manning up and, and taking it on a little bit more and just sucking it up for a few seconds and staying stood in your goal because there's no way Smith Rowe would have scored had he uh, just shook it off a little bit. Do you know what? I want to talk about Fred in a little bit, but before we do, he reminds me of, you know, Mr. Smee from Peter Pan. Um, that you know, he's like the assistant to Captain Hook. He's always trying to be really helpful and really useful and doing everything for Captain Hook, but he just he just makes mistakes, like albeit inadvertently. He doesn't mean to, but that was just kind of Fred in a nutshell last night that I thought, you know, accidentally standing on De Gea's foot uh, and causing him to go down. It was a good finish from Smith Rowe, and uh, it was a really strange way for them to concede, Craig. It's one of those goals where you think that when things are going against you and you're down on your luck, it, it really exasperates you as a team. And you could almost see Manchester United's players deflate ever so slightly thinking, my gosh, when are we going to get a slice of luck? So for them to come back and react and score just before halftime with Bruno Fernandes with a nice free-flowing move, that would have pleased particularly Ralph Rangnick watching from the stands. Yeah, for sure. And a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, redemption for for Fred because I, I thought he, he played a great part in that goal, the, the little flick. Uh, assist for Fernandez. Um, I think you're right about Fred. You know, he his attitude and his endeavor is so good. His energy, he really does give everything. But a lot of time, he sort of gets in his own way. I think the system doesn't help him too much as well with the fact that he gets caught in possession a lot. I think a lot of time he finds it difficult when there's a, a really sort of high press on him that there isn't really a plan for that. I think maybe when Rangnick's what Rangnick gets in there. Maybe Fred will um, make a um, a few less mistakes, but but yeah, it was good to see Fred sort of make up uh, make up for for that mistake there, and then later on, as we know, he also uh, he also made up in another way. But um, yeah, I thought it was a great goal, good response from United. I was hoping when the crazy goal happened that we could have a little bit of extra drama, and maybe we could see something like that. Um, that time when Bielsa told Leeds to let Villa score, um, <laughs> just because it was so crazy to watch. I was kind of hoping, oh, I really hope that something, you know, insane like that happens, that they say, oh, come on, we'll let you score or something because of the sportsmanship or whatever. I don't think that would have been a good idea on their part, but it would have been funny as a, as a spectator. Yeah, I definitely think that there was a few murmurings, perhaps, that that could have been the case and that Arsenal would let Manchester United waltz through and score an equaliser, but... It's just unlucky from Manchester United or perhaps maybe uh, slightly less resilience than would have been hopeful from David De Gea, as Marley points out. Now, we've mentioned Fred, so we may as well continue with him. He did give the ball away a lot, particularly in the first 25 minutes, Marley. But for me, and I think this is shown in the last few weeks, he seems to be the only Manchester United midfielder looking to pass the ball forwards and be aggressive with his passing and be progressive, trying to get the ball into the final third. 
he ended up being key in two of United's goals, as Craig's just highlighted, with winning possession and then, of course, winning the penalty, which uh, which allowed Manchester United to win 3-2. So as frustrating as he is, I think he's a lot more positive with his play in terms of passing the ball forward than someone like McTominay or even Matic to an extent is. I, I feel like with McTominay, he passes the ball sideways and backwards quite a lot, which isn't something that you'll see under the new manager, Ralph Rangnick. So Fred was showing, I think, even though it was frustrating and he was making mistakes last night from a Manchester United perspective, I think he was showing some potential that could really flourish under the new manager. Yeah, I, th- I do think there's a player in there, um, mainly because you see him for Brazil and he's, he's a completely different player. Um, he's, mm. he's, I feel like he, he almost plays better, similar to Pogba in, in a midfield three. Um, as one of the sort of side midfielders, and he's he can have a, he can go box to box and have a little bit of a, a freer role. Um, whereas even with Man United, I think the the sort of four two three one formation doesn't quite suit him very well because you do have to be very very good with the ball there. You, you don't have as much time. You know, you need to have a bit of a better understanding of the game um, than he does at times. Um, but in the last couple of games, I think he was really good in Man United's last game as well. Um, and then he's had that game, it's, I mean, it's a bit all over the place, the game, you know, he made a few mistakes and gave the ball away a lot, but he also made an assist for Bruno Fernandes' goal and he won the penalty, which is, I think, counts as an assist these days as, as well. So, um, overall, Rangnick will probably be thinking, can I, what can I get out of him? Is he is he part of what I've got? Because defensive midfield at Man United is, is very uh, slim. There's not many players that can play there. Um, and a lot of fans moan about the, the McFred situation with Fred and McTominay, but they're probably the best of, of, of what is available at Man United because, you know, Demandi Matic is, what, 34 now and hasn't been able to run for about five years. So you're relying on him sort of positionally being spot on, and but at some point he's always going to get physically outmatched in the game by somebody who's fast and can dribble around him. So... It's uh it's a problem that needs to be solved, whether it's by coaching or signing someone else, uh, is it's sort of a matter of opinion, I suppose. But Rangnick is is experienced; he will know how he wants Fred to play uh, before he before he comes in, and hopefully he can build on these couple of decent performances because there is a bit of promise there. Um, the German actually gave his first press conference as new Manchester United manager this morning, said some interesting stuff, but effectively what it boiled down to was he just wants to win the next game, which is against Crystal Palace on Sunday. And that game will be previewed as well as all the other top flight fixtures across Saturday and Sunday on our preview show, The Dugout, which is out tonight. Former Premier League players Dean Hammond and Matt Jarvis will be alongside me to look ahead to those ones. Now, talking of midfielders at Manchester United, Michael Carrick was a pretty good player back in his day. And after after last night's victory over Arsenal, it was announced immediately following the full-time whistle that he'll be leaving Manchester United after 15 years' service as both a player and in more recent times a coach. What's your take on this one, Craig? Do you think it was the right time for him to leave the club? That's what he suggested in the post-match interview after the game, that he felt the time was right. Do you agree with that? And what do you think might be next for Michael Carrick? Yeah, I think the timing was right um, for a number of reasons. I think... Uh, he even alluded to this himself in the interview. I think that with the new manager coming in, there could be a slightly different style, um, you know, to the one that he's been experienced in coaching at his time with Ollie. And I think uh, he was he was working as assistant maybe even before that as well, or, or at least in the staff. Um, 
I think probably it is a it is a good move on his part to just let it be a clean slate, just go brand new regime, because probably the style of football is going to change dramatically. Uh, but I think he's, of course, he's been an unbelievable servant for that club as a player, as one of the most underrated midfield players, I think, uh, in the Premier League history. I think he's a he was an unbelievable player. Um, and he's he's done a great job there, I'm sure, in a coaching capacity and in his time as caretaker. I mean, can't complain too much about these three games he's had. I think he's shown a lot of promise. I think Bruno Fernandes said in his interview too that he could well go on to be a, a great coach, and I think that's I think that's the case. I, I'd like to see him take a little bit of time out and then come back and take on a job of his own, maybe a sort of bottom half of the Premier League or maybe top half of Championship. Um, take on a team and and try and and sort of take on his own path, so to speak. But I think uh, he'll be loved there forever. I think complete club legend. But I think it was the right time to go and to sort of, I guess, clean house if Rangnick's coming in because he's going to have a sort of overarching approach to everything. You know, not just the the coaching, but when he goes on to be that consultant afterwards, it's sort of like a. He'll be over overseeing everything. You want to start completely from from fresh, I think. So I respect Carrick's decision, um, and I think he leaves with his head held high. And of course, there's the loyalty to Oli as well, which is a factor. I'm sure that was uh, weighing on his mind a lot when he made the decision. Yeah, we saw a massive twenty Oli legend banner unfurled at Old Trafford last night. We also saw him give an exit interview to. MUTV, the club's TV station, when he left the club. We've also heard in Ralph Rangnick's press conference this morning that Solskjaer had a two-hour-long conversation with Ralph Rangnick about the squad, almost handing over the baton, so to speak, to the new man in charge. And now Michael Carrick's decided that his time is up. And actually speaking post-match last night, Carrick said that he promised his wife when he retired from playing, that they would spend some time together and go away and do some nice things. And he ended up just going straight into coaching. Uh, that was about five <laughs> years ago. So uh, I think he's finally fulfilling that promise. Uh, Manchester United's uh, three goals, two of them were scored by Cristiano Ronaldo last night. One from open play, a nice sweeping finish into the corner. The second, which ended up being the winner, was a penalty. That takes him to 800 and 801 career goals. Another landmark for Cristiano Ronaldo. I was thinking about what I could ask about that, Marley, on the podcast, but nothing surprises me when it comes to Ronaldo anymore. I don't think he was amazing last night, but he pops up with two goals and they're decisive goals that win Manchester United the game. I mean, 800 goals is a remarkable figure, but I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders as if to say, yeah, well, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. Of course we expect that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to sort of... It's hard to put it into context, isn't it? Like you, you know, you know it's a lot, a lot of goals and everything. But then you, you realise like Jamie Carragher played seven hundred and seventy-five games in his career, and Ronaldo's got eight hundred and one goals. So like, he's. I mean, he's not the only one as well. Like you could, you could throw so many players into that, like legendary players who had long careers. But Ronaldo scored more goals than they've even played games. It's just bizarre how how many goals he scored it's I, I always like them stats where it's like if you had a 15 year career and you scored 30 goals a year for every year you were a professional you would still be like 300 goals short of what Ronaldo's got and it's, it's the same with same with Messi as well but um it's it's just astronomical numbers um and he's got a lot more to give I thought his performance 
was was very sort of modern day Ronaldo. Like he's more of a box guy now. He he doesn't dribble as much, but when he needs to, he still can. Um, and you know he's, he he knows where to be in the uh, in the box at, at times. You've seen that with his tapping. Um, you know, made it look easy, but it's all about positioning and finding that gap behind the centre backs, but in front of the midfielders in the box. Um, and then the the penalty. I don't think he was ever going to miss it, but. Um, he was also never not going to put it down the middle, so I was a bit critical of Ramsdale diving as if he had two goals to cover because um, he's, he's got track habit of uh, sticking one down the middle and at 2-2 with 10 minutes to go in a game or 15 or whatever it was, uh, he's, he's likely going to smash it down the middle, but never mind. Uh, that's something for Ramsdale to worry about, but Ronaldo's just ridiculous, isn't it? And he's, I'm just glad he's back in the Premier League, to be honest. Yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo again showing what he's all about. Two goals, 800 and 801 respectively. As we say, it concluded the game really. United winning 3-2 against Arsenal, the final score. And I'm conscious of this sounding like a, a Manchester United podcast in its entirety just because I think they are the main story here. Arsenal beaten. Where do you think they let themselves down last night, Craig? Where do you think the game was lost? If that's a, a fair thing to say. Yeah, I think you're right that the the story is United. Um, you know, with Fred and, and De Gea and Carrick leaving and Ronaldo scoring, you know, it's all United storylines. But I guess to turn to Arsenal, um, I don't know if I could say exactly like where the game was lost because I think it was quite an evenly matched game. It was quite a frantic game. It, it wasn't like they that, that United sort of dominated because of there was a sort of difference in shape and, and Arsenal just couldn't get into the game. It didn't feel like that or anything. It felt like, I guess, actually as well, considering where a lot of people thought Arsenal were going to be this year and after those first three games. Um, I mean, a two-all for them, I think, would have been a good result. And narrowly losing 3-2. I guess the game was lost with Erdegaard's horrific tackle <laughs> to give away the penalty. Um, I think if he doesn't do that and they draw 2-2, I think that would be more or less an okay result. I guess from from watching from where I was, I, I don't see a sort of huge systemic issue where I could say, you know, they were overrunning midfield or I guess you could say they got a bit stretched. Um, they got caught out a couple of times, like Ronaldo's first goal, for example, maybe he shouldn't have been in so much space. Um, they were maybe a little bit lackluster at the back in terms of getting back, but I don't know. I, I think in, in general, it was, it was a decent performance from Arsenal, actually, I think considering where they were after the first three games, I, I think they'll be disappointed the Erdegaard gave away the penalty because I think they would have been happy to draw two or Manchester United three Arsenal two final score at Old Trafford certainly a, a more entertaining game in my opinion in terms of all of the different things that happened than Tottenham versus Brentford but we will talk about that game in North London next after this break here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social, your daily Premier League show. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. Brand new shows every day of the top flight season, including Christmas as well. We've got all of those fixtures covered off. It is a busy fixture schedule, including nine fixtures across Saturday and Sunday this weekend. 
All of those games will be previewed with former West Ham, Wolves and Norwich winger Matt Jarvis and ex-Leicester City, Brighton and Southampton midfielder Dean Hammond with me on the dugout, which is out this evening, wherever you get your podcasts. Time to talk now about the other game that took place yesterday. Tottenham 2, Brentford 0 at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. An own goal from Sergi Canyos after 12 minutes before Son Heung-min wrapped up the points for Spurs in the 65th. An important win for Tottenham this one, Marley, and a chance for them to build some form with Norwich and Brighton their next two games, because after that they've got Leicester, Liverpool and West Ham in the Carabao Cup quarters, and that's all before Christmas. Uh, yeah, it was, it was important to uh, to get a win. Um, Brentford are sort of all over the place at the minute. You don't know whether they're going to win, lose or draw. Um, being on that poor run, I think they lost four in a row, so... Coming to Spurs last night, I think Spurs needed to set out a sort of standard because I think under Nuno that game had probably ended nil nil or they'd have lost it. Um, I think Brentford still had the lion's share of possession, um, but Conte's way is is sort of well or was last night sort of the rapid counter attacks that that really uh, did the damage for them. I thought they scored two, well, scored one. Decent goal. The the second goal, Son's goal was was really good. The first one was a bit scrappy and a bit lucky, um, with Jansen heading it off Sergi Canos's face, um, and it bouncing in the net. The poor poor side. He's probably. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think like when wingers score on goals and, and attacking players score on goals, it's just like, well, I shouldn't have been back here in the first place. I was just trying my best. Uh, and Pontus Jansen's headed it straight into in the poor side, and it just flew in the net. Um, so yeah, but but Spurs, you know, Spurs just, I think they need to. They're in that period where they need to grind out results. It doesn't really matter if they're playing that well at the start of Conte's reign because that will come. That will come with his philosophy. Um, and once everyone gets used to what they're doing on a, a sort of a full ninety minutes and and, and all the rest of it. Um, but at the minute, just just don't lose stupid little games like like that because. You know, just win any way you can, and I think they they did that last night, um, and they'll be better for it in the in the coming weeks when they've got a a little bit of a, a sort of easier run of, of fixtures. I thought it was interesting, Marley, that you said just there about the counter attacking because that Son goal it just felt like really fast forward play, which is something we've seen under Conte in the past. We know Spurs have capability to counter attack one hundred percent with the players they've got, but I think it was just the incisive nature of the second goal that they scored. And and Son Heung-min, for me, was at the heart of everything last night. He was taking shots, testing the goalkeeper. Um, he crossed the ball in for the own goal. He scored the counter-attack, uh, as we've described it there. What did you make of his performance? Because he's proving every week, every season, just how important he is to Tottenham. Son, oh, Son's one of the... He's one of the best wingers in the world. It's, he's, he's one of my favourite players in the league to watch. I mean, he's, yeah. he's just so direct. He, he does. He's not... There's no frills with Son, is it? It's just, it's just kind of. He does, he does his job. He knows his job, and he's very good at it. Yeah, he's uh, he's one of the most well-rounded players, I think, uh, in in the league. Like he's, he's he's got two feet. He can shoot. He can pass. He can play make. He can dribble. Um, he's not that bad in the air, and is uh, is a real threat. I mean, going back to sort of last season, if if Spurs had lost Kane and Son was just there on his own. Like that John Travolta meme where he's just looking around saying, "Where's everyone gone?" <laughs> um, I just thought, you know, if he if he is the only one there, that's such a hard task. But because they've kept Kane and because they well for now, and because they've signed on to a new deal, they can build the team around him and get the best out of him, like they have been doing for the last three or four years. 
Um, and he's he's responded in kind, isn't he? You know, um, that that sort of counter attack, not counter attack goal that that he scored last night. It was just he wanted that ball more than Pontus Janssen, and he was just like, right, it's a foot race between me and you, and you're not gonna you're not gonna win it because you've got about three stone on me. So there's absolutely no chance that you're getting to that ball before me. Gets himself a little easy tapping. And, uh, and continues his, his decent run, but I think he'll be massive for, for Conte and, and massive for Spurs for the rest of the season. Yeah, I was wondering whether last night was a little more Antonio Conte, the blueprint that we've come to expect and what we've seen in recent games. Obviously, that loss to Mura in the Europa Conference League, Craig, was a real bitter pill to swallow, not just for Conte, but for the supporters and the players as well. And it was interesting what he said after that game in particular, where he came out and mentioned how maybe the project is going to be slightly tougher than he anticipated. But would you agree that that was a a more Antonio Conte performance? It had the fingerprints of his style on it rather than what we've seen recently. Yeah, 100%. I think you can see it in that second goal, in the goal, the the counter-attack. Just the the way that I think, I can't remember who clears it for Spurs and it falls to Kane. He just finds Reggaeon in acres of space, bombing along the left. And Son is just, I think he's one of the best players in the world. I I really rate him. I'm a huge, huge fan of him. I think he will really flourish under Conte. And... He's he's so quick at getting up the pitch, whether it's whether running with the ball or as he did last night, running in for that tap in. And I think you'll see a lot of that of the fullbacks bursting really quick to pounce. Like they were so sort of lethargic in the, the last few weeks before Conte came in when things got really bad under Nuno. You can't imagine them sort of pouncing on an opportunity like that, but you can already see a difference, I think, in energy, um, fitness aggression and I think you'll see that a lot that if they win the ball sort of with many of the opponent's players committed in their half like it was with Brentford I think that most of Brentford's players were in Spurs's half you'll see immediately um, one of the fullbacks bombing Son, Kane running through the middle and I think you'll see that goal happen over and over again it was much more like a Conte performance and I think that's something for the Spurs fans to celebrate. I think as soon as he came in, I said that they'll definitely be challenging for the top four. And I think as it stands, I would have them as favourites to finish fourth, actually. I think it's up to United and Arsenal to overtake them just based on Conte's coaching alone. Harry Kane still hasn't scored for a while. He's involved last night. He he was playing a, a reasonable part in the attacking play that Spurs had. Had a couple of moments where the goalkeeper saved his efforts. If they are going to finish in the top four, Craig, how imperative is it that Harry Kane starts finding the net again on a regular basis soon? Because we know that the Christmas period is full of fixtures where there's a game almost every couple of days and they could do with Harry Kane getting back to his brilliant best if they're going to really make a tilt for the top four, as you say. Yeah, I mean, he always uh, starts slow, doesn't he? But I think Christmas is maybe a bit too slow. Um, So he probably needs to get it going soon. Um, I think as long as it might not be the worst thing in the world, as long as he's contributing in other ways, like as long as he's sort of dropping deep and, and playing those balls to Reggaeon or whoever's whoever's coming out wide and sort of helping the play, that will be something. But yeah, of course, you'd want him to be getting some goals. I mean, Conte's teams do tend to have like a, a great striker who who you can rely on, like he had with Lukaku at Inter to score plenty of goals. And I think when he came there, he would have been banking on Kane probably being one of the most positive things about the project for him. So, yeah, I mean, he needs to start finding the net soon. I don't know exactly uh, when that's going to happen. Uh, I don't I don't know exactly why he's having so much trouble this season. 
I mean, I guess it's the the fact that the city thing got into his head and maybe he's struggling with that psychologically. I don't know, but he really needs to to pick up the pace and get some goals soon. But in the meantime, as long as he can be involved in the build-up in a good way, as long as people like Son and Lucas Moura and Reguillon are benefiting, then, you know, he still has his part to play, even without the goals, I think. Yeah, Harry Kane is such a good weapon to have in your arsenal, even if he's not scoring goals. I don't think that that drought will last for too long. I think a couple of seasons ago where Jamie Vardy hadn't scored for something like six months, Marley. And, and, you know, you've watched Jamie Vardy from when he was at Halifax Town to, to <laughs> now. So it's one of those where you know a player with certain quality, even if they're having a bit of a, a barren spell, isn't going to last for long. Yeah, I mean, you would never say... <laughs> you'd never say our oh, Kane's finished because he missed a, a one-on-one last night or he's uh, he's had a slow start. And you can understand why Kane's been a bit off um, with all the things that have gone on in the summer. Thought he was leaving, then he then he sort of turned around and said he wasn't. Then a new manager comes in and the team hasn't been great and he's playing twice a week in the little Mickey Mouse European Cup or whatever it is. And you know what I mean? It's There's a lot going on and you can understand that that little sort of web of of uh, of confusion is is around him so you can you can understand why he's not maybe at his best but you can also understand that the guy scored well over 100 premier league goals and he's probably uh, he's probably going to come good again at some point so it's just a case of having him in your fantasy football team when he does because you'll you'll rake in the points <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine anyone uh, that doesn't have Salah captained at this moment in time. I don't think Kane <laughs> is in that many teams at the moment, but when he starts firing again, you just know he will be. Let's talk about Brentford then. First season in the Premier League, we were saying on the dugout, which is out tonight, that it's almost a shock that Brentford are even in the Premier League, but yet they've started so brightly, they deserve plenty of credit. They're still six points from safety, so there's a reasonable cushion there, Marley, but they've got Leeds, Watford and Southampton in three of their next four matches. Five points from those three games that I mentioned, that will go a long way to avoid being sucked into the mix because it's not the time you want to hit a bad run of form with, as I say, a game every couple of days up till the start of the new year. Yeah, definitely... um... It's a it's a crunch time, isn't it? You know, it's nearly Christmas. You've you've give yourself a decent base, but at the same time, if you lose them three games or if you take one point from them them, them three games, you you create a hell of a task for yourself. Um, so it's it's sort of like uh, the make or break point of of Brentford season because they've been okay, but well, so they've been good to be fair, but they're still not a massive. Uh, there's not a massive gap between the bottom three, and you end up. You, you said there, Watford, um, Southampton. Those teams can overtake them pretty pretty quickly. You know, if they win, you know, Watford aren't playing that badly right now. Neither are Southampton. So if they win their game against Brentford, pull them into it a little bit more. Um, everyone's expecting Newcastle to get better. I'm not sure whether they will, <laughs> when we will like, but um, if there's there's a lot of scrapping and and clambering over each other that is to be done in that bottom bottom half of the table until now, uh, until May so I think there's a long way to go in that and Brentford need to just be careful because they could easily get sucked into it if, if things don't go their way and their injuries don't clear up. Yeah, I think Brentford as I've said a couple of times in recent weeks on this show are just starting to realise how brutal the Premier League can be and the games up till Christmas should be exciting 
for everyone, but for last night, they were beaten in North London. Tottenham Hotspur 2, Brentford 0, the final score. Time for another quick break here on Football Social Daily, and afterwards we'll be doing our heroes and villains from this game week. We normally do this on a Monday after the weekend's games, but seeing as there's been games right throughout this midweek, we're going to treat you and do it again today. All of that coming up next after this here on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social. My name's Niall. I've got Craig and Marley alongside me and it is time to do our heroes and villains from the latest rack of Premier League games. We usually do this on a Monday after the weekend, but it seems as good a time as ever to do it today after what we've seen throughout the course of the last three or four days under the floodlights. Now, if you haven't listened to the show before, Heroes and Villains is where we do just exactly that. We pick three heroes, one each and three villains, and we explain why can be as silly or as serious as you like and I'll start first I'll go with my hero and this is quite serious and I think that these people involved deserve immense credit for their work and my hero award goes to the medical staff who aided both of those people who needed assistance in the medical emergencies at Watford and Southampton respectively both of them on the same night at different grounds the game between Watford and Chelsea at Vicarage Road was temporarily suspended whilst someone in the crowd uh, needed to receive medical treatment. And at Southampton against Leicester, half-time at St Mary's, the start of the second half was delayed due to a medical emergency in the stands there on the south coast. So my hero award goes to everyone who was involved, whether that be fellow spectators, the medical staff involved, the doctors Absolutely brilliant to see the game taking the right approach to this because all too often we've seen people go down in the stands and the game just continue as if nothing's happening. So I think that the football is going in the right direction when it comes to that. So those people involved would be my heroes for this midweek run of Premier League fixtures. Come on then, Marley, who's your hero over the last three or four days? We've seen some good games. We've had some good moments. Who are you choosing? Uh, my my hero is um, Joel Linton. <laughs> Honest to God. For the first time uh, ever, maybe, you oh, picked Joe Linton as a hero. <laughs> quite possibly, honestly. Um, mainly because um, Newcastle's game against Norwich on, on Tuesday night, which I honestly thought was last week. I feel like this this week has been... There's that much football that I forgot <laughs> we even played on Tuesday. Um, but yeah, Joe Linton, he, he started as, as a sort of number 10 in like a 4-4-1-1 position. And obviously Kieran Clark got sent off after eight minutes, which was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Um, and he, so Eddie Howe had two choices, basically. Take a striker off and keep and go 4-4-1 or do what he did and, and be brave and go 4-3-2. And that meant like taking Ryan Fraser off and putting Joel Linton in the centre midfield. So basically, we played like a, a a classic midfield three and left St Maximan up front with um with Callum Wilson, and he was brilliant. He was absolutely massive. He was everywhere in that game. He had like the perfect mix of like combative sort of tackling and easing the pressure on on the team by sort of looking after the ball, winning free kicks, playing decent passes, dribbling dribbling us out of uh, out of the box and, and getting us forward a little bit. 
Um, and he was just everywhere, and I, I wasn't sure he had that to his game. I, I always knew he was technically a good player and, and better than a lot of the stick he's been given, and you know sometimes rightly so. But it's just a, a perfect example of what you can do when you when you coached right. And Steve Bruce didn't have a clue what to do with him. He just sent a big six foot two Brazilian and thought he's a target man. And Eddie Howe came in and said, "Well, he's actually a very good technical player. He's not very." physical as in he won't fight with players but if if uh you know he's not like a, a Mitrovic or a Rondon as a target man sort of thing but playing him in that centre midfield was was superb it was a masterstroke and there was I think that there was one moment wouldn't have made the highlight it was, it was like 78 minutes or something and he just sort of dived in for this like uh uh like sliding interception sort of thing something that which isn't his game at all and uh it, the camera cut to Eddie Howe and on the on the touchline, and you could see him mouthing the words uh, "effing good, good job, Joe." Like, get, keep keep going, Joe. And it was just like that is coaching, and that is that is what you can get out of players when you when you have an idea of what they're good at, and you allow them to flourish, and you believe in them a little bit, and that's what Eddie Howe's doing to the team. And in and straight away, Joe Linton's been good in his last three games, but against Norwich, he was he was absolutely superb and. I hope it continues because there is a player in there. We just need to get it out of him. How much do you think can be read into the fact that Joe Linton no longer wears number nine for Newcastle United? Is that such a trivial thing that it doesn't make any difference at all? Because, you know, that number nine shirt holds a lot of prestige, namely through Alan Shearer. And when Joe Linton came in for 40 million quid, he was given the number nine and didn't really score any goals. He still doesn't score any goals. But now he's got the seven shirt. Callum Wilson is a bona fide striker, plays in that nine role and wears the nine shirt now. I mean, we talk about small things and fine margins in the elite game, but is that one of them, do you think? Or is that far too trivial trivial uh, a thing to attach to this particular scenario? Uh, it it maybe plays into it, but I think it's a little bit trivial because he was still playing like uh, like he'd never seen a football before when when Steve Bruce was still <laughs> sticking him up front and and hoping he could do the best. And then towards the end of Bruce's spell, he actually played left midfield and he was way way better. And it was like, oh, maybe he's not a striker. And the the penalty penny finally dropped for Steve Bruce. Um, but he's you know it's. It's probably just a fan thing. I don't blame Joe Linton for for taking it when he was given it when he came because it's just something you wouldn't really turn it down. And I also think that that a Brazilian 22, 23-year-old doesn't really understand what the number nine shirt in Newcastle United means. When he's kicking a ball around on the beach in uh, in Brazil as a, as a 10-year-old or whatever, he's not... He just—he's not seeing Shearer bang him in every week for for Newcastle. It's—it's it's not quite. He doesn't quite understand it. So to him, it was probably just a shirt number. Um, he did say he understood it, but everyone does. Um, but I think with it's more of a fan thing, and I think if you're wearing the number nine, you do get a little bit less time if you're not a genuine striker scoring fifteen, twenty goals a season. So it's uh, it's the right thing that Wilson's wearing it because he's our he's our goal scorer. And it's it the number seven shirt suits Joel Linton a little bit more, even though he's probably not quite a winger, but it still suits him better than nine did. I think you're right. I think it's such a strange little quirk of football that players love certain shirts and they only want to wear certain shirts and the weight that comes with a specific number. It's something we spoke to Trevor Stephen about on the dugout 
uh, a few months back towards the start of the season when Cristiano Ronaldo came into Manchester United and was handed the number seven shirt, which was previously worn by Edinson Cavani. And we were talking about what that means for the brand of CR7, what that means for Ronaldo in terms of his confidence and his prestige as a Manchester United player. So interesting conversations to be had around that, I think, albeit quite trivial in this case, as you rightly point out, Marley. That's Marley's hero. Let's move on to you, Craig. Who are you choosing to uh, wear a badge of honour after this week's Premier League fixtures? Well, it might be a little bit tribal because I follow Man City, but my hero for midweek and for the whole season so far is Bernardo Silva who I thought in the Villa game was absolutely outstanding again. I think he's been just incredible all season. It feels like with City every year, there's sort of one player who emerges. I think last year it was Gundogan. Obviously, there's so many great players there, but there's one who emerges as a class above. And it's so funny that Silva was apparently on the way out at the summer, or at least thinking about it. Um, and somehow they've managed to keep him. It, it, thank God they did, because he's he's just unbelievable. Um, and in particular, in terms of a moment, I thought that the the ridiculous side foot volley um, that he scored from the assist from Jesus, I mean, the timing of the run, the timing, the way he even sort of, he even sort of addressed his run and his body shape, like while the ball was in flight as it was coming over so he could get there at the exact second, time it perfectly, the quality, the technique. I thought it was just an unbelievable goal from from both players, him and Jesus, for the assist too. Uh, but I think Bernardo is just a class above, a joy to watch. And uh, right now, I'd say along with Salah and a couple of other players, he's he's up there as sort of in, in the top five best players in the league at the moment. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Craig. Great choice. Great goal he scored as well. Whilst you're there, Craig, why don't we do your villain as well? If Bernardo's the hero, who's the villain of the piece? Marley actually stole my, um, well, he didn't steal my villain, but he referenced my villain. So my villain's actually going to be Kieran Clark. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> because I felt that um, by pulling Temu Te- Puki down like that, I understand that it's sort of a, just an emotional reaction. You know, I get it. Like I've played, you know, even when you, even when you play five or side and stuff, sometimes you do things without thinking just in the moment and instinct. But I think that was a really big mistake because to go down to 10 men um, with nine minutes gone in a really crucial relegation six-pointer that they would have been targeting a win. I feel that um, also not to take anything away from Pookie because I think it was even that game that he scored that sublime volley. I'm not going to say he's... I, I don't rate him at all. But, I mean, it wouldn't have been impossible to believe that he could have missed a one-on-one against Dubravka. I think Dubravka could have come out, made himself big, and he might have put it wide, or Dubravka might have got a hand on it. And even if he does slide it in, okay, it's 1-0 early doors, but you've still got 11 men. I just feel that by pulling Pookie back, I thought it was unnecessary, really. It wasn't like, um, you know, 90th minute of the game, I'll get sent off, one for the team, and we win the game. It's it's like there wasn't really need for that. And, you, and he wasn't exactly pulling back, you know, a guy who was going to go in on goal and guaranteed score. I mean... Pookie misses chances. He doesn't get that many because I know that it's not like he's playing for the team that gives him the most service in Norwich, but he he does miss chances. And despite his fantastic goal later in the game, I still think if I was Clark, I would have gambled on chasing him back, trying to put pressure on him, trying to sort of get in his head. But, you know, just if he scores, he scores, take it. But I reckon there's a chance he could have missed that. And I thought it was a really big mistake and quite unnecessary on his part. I know what you mean. If they go through and score, you've got 80 minutes to make the game up. But 
if you get sent off, you've got 80 minutes of grafting um, with 10 men. So it's, it's it's a great point you raise. Well, who's your villain, Marley? If if not Kieran Clark, is it someone else or are you are you with Craig here? Uh, it was going to be Clark um, until before and I thought I can't. <laughs> Sorry, mate. No, no. What's your thoughts on no, Clark? No. You can have him as well. I'd understand that. Oh, I, I, well, I just think he's ball bag. He's, he's our worst defender. <laughs> he shouldn't have been playing in the first place uh, and he's ended up doing that. So that's, uh, that's that one. But... Um, I didn't want to turn this into a, oh, Marley's just going to talk about Newcastle again. So I have got something which is slightly more trivial, but still winds me winds me up so much. Um, and it happened in the Man United game last night, and it happens in every bloody Man United game as well. And it's uh, people who feel the need to pitch invade to try and get a selfie or something or touch Cristiano Ronaldo. Happens in every game he plays. Happens with Messi as well. Um, and there was one who did it last night as well. And he just ran over to Ronaldo because he knew he was getting substituted um, from the... It was an Arsenal corner, and I think he walked over to defend the corner, and someone ran on and... It was a kid, right? I don't give a <laughs> who it is. <laughs> I was going to say, are you expecting stewards to, like, drop kick children? If I was a steward, I would run in. Have you, have you ever seen... Uh, well, like, you know, remember Kane off the 90s, the wrestler? <laughs> yeah. Just a big boot. Yeah, get off the pitch, lad. Oh yeah, yeah. Finish him off with a tombstone pile driver and just slide (laughs) him off the pitch. Slide his little corpse off the pitch. I don't care. But anybody, honest to God, man, anybody who does it just winds me up. Like, what? What? What's the point? Like, why do you think that you can that you can do that? Like, like it's it's you don't you just don't do it. And if you're a parent of a kid, you'd be like. No, don't don't do that. Don't be because we'll get banned, um, and you'll never be able to see him again and all the rest of it. So, but even like I know it's like a trivial thing, but even to bring this back to a slightly more serious point, nobody like nobody gets caught quick enough to before they get to the players. So the stewards, like if you have been to a football match, you know stewards are half asleep for most of the game. They don't they don't really care. You can you can easily get past one and get on the pitch if you want, but. It could lead to a really serious situation one day. Like if somebody manages to slip in something that they can hurt a player with, whether it be some sort of weapon, a penknife or keys or whatever, like it could lead to something quite serious. And I know it's kind of trivial with Ronaldo, like they all want a, a selfie or, or to or to touch him or something. But it's uh, it could lead to a serious situation in the future because once once you get past the steward, no one tries to stop you. Um, and the stewards are usually fat old men who just sort of can't run in the slidey shoes because they're wearing flipping brogues and they're trying to run on a, 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 a freshly watered pitch and they've got no chance. So, you know what I mean? They go on, it, it turns into Keystone Cops where everyone just falls over and there's people sliding everywhere like frigging, um, what do you call them, ice dancers? <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah like, like someone's doing the bolero on the pitch or something. It's madness. Very good. Um, I'm going to twist the knife even further. And this one is also about the fans, my villain. Um, In fact, it's not directly about the fans. It's TV reporters asking managers and players about the fans. Now, hear me out here. I'll explain because I'm a big advocate of uh, fans having their voices heard more in football. I've banged on, on about that multiple times in the three or so seasons we've been doing this podcast. The fans are the lifeblood of the Premier League, they're the lifeblood of football, particularly in this country where we have such a 
a deep and diverse pyramid which goes all the way down to the grassroots level and, and still attracts uh, several hundreds of fans, which is uh, different to any other country in Europe, in my opinion. We miss the fans hugely during the pandemic. We miss them massively when the stands are empty and covered in tarpaulin. It was soulless. It wasn't the same. It was very, very strange. The fans have been back now for four months. Stop asking questions about the fans. Oh, the fans were good, weren't they? They're good every week. Just stop asking those stupid questions. And there was one reporter, I don't know who it was, and I don't like to dig people out, but um, there was one reporter for Amazon Prime for the Southampton versus Leicester game. And uh, I was watching the interview with Ralph Hasenhurtle pre-match. And the reporter said, um, uh, how much are you looking forward to uh, what is always a great atmosphere here at St. Mary's? <laughs> I thought, you haven't done your research, have you? <laughs> St. Mary's has never had a good atmosphere ever in history. The only time it had a good atmosphere is when Portsmouth came to town. So oh, here we go. one of those where I just thought, stop asking questions about the fans. There's so many more interesting questions you could ask. For instance... Do you remember when you got beat 9-0? Do you think that will happen again tonight? He didn't ask that question. Instead, he asked about the fans. So that would be my villain. Um, something very, very trivial. But as we say, that's what happens on Heroes and Villains. We can be as silly or as serious as you like. And that rounds us off for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks very much, Marley. Appreciate your time as ever. We'll go and let you uh, frustrate yourself over Kieran Clark's poor decision in the Norwich game, which feels like a week ago, but... You've got another big game this weekend against Burnley. Yep. Um, when you're on the podcast on Monday, what sort of mood do you think you'll be in after this weekend's clash with the Clarets? Uh, good. I think we'll beat them. Um, but the best thing about Kieran Clark is getting sent off um, is that I don't have to see him play football for the next three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and also, thanks very much to Craig from the Sportacost podcast, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, which you can go and check out there and on all platforms of course. Appreciate your time too, Craig. Now, I should probably ask you how you're going to be feeling on Monday, seeing as you're off onto a stag do in about 45 minutes' time. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's going to be a big one. We're driving up to the Yorkshire Dales for uh, for my friend's uh, stag weekend. We're going to have like 20 of us there. It's going to be pretty crazy. And uh, yeah, it's, it, Monday's going to be hard. I think I actually have to record a podcast on Monday as well, so that should be great. It should be good fun. Look forward to listening to that. Of course, Sportacost, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, as we say. As is Football Social Daily, this podcast, the only daily Premier League show. Appreciate your company as ever. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode. We'll be back with the dugout tonight, half past seven UK time. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss it. Myself, alongside former West Ham and Wolves winger Matt Jarvis and former Leicester and Southampton midfielder Dean Hammond, talking all about this weekend's Premier League fixtures. But that's it from us today, and we'll catch you again on the next one. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.